And then we'll get started. Jesus, we thank you for the company of your people. We pray for the spirit of revelation and knowledge. Nate and Mark, it's my brain here, but that we might know you better. We pray and declare the grace, the compassion, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, enable us. Reveal Jesus to us. The yes. when they just be about learning, it would be about revelation. God, this is your word, this is your kingdom, and we surrender to you. We pray for good seed to far for heaven, and may land in good soil, and may you bring an increase. And so, God, we pray and declare there will be fruit for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You all, you're, you're ready for this, sir? Yes. Up until now, we've sort of seen it slow, verse by verse. And I'd like you to start, um, I think, I say I, I'd listen to an illustration that says that the, the flower was made for the poet and then for the botanist. I said that right at the, uh, the first lesson, which meant that a flower in its perfect form was made to be appreciated, was made to be looked at, was made to be written about. We are meant to look at a flower and say, isn't God good? But if it can happen is if a, a botanist will come and dissect the petals and if it happens it kills the fluor. And sometimes in Bible study we can pick the fluor so much that we miss the meaning of it Jesus was trying to portray through his word. And I'm guilty of myself and I've got some amazing Romans commentaries to try and glean fair to try and help us here. And sometimes I feel as though it's just too much information to do with the Greek words, the Hebrew words. And uh, you miss the beauty of the fluor. The night is about this word, justice, and that God is a just God. Romans chapter, the end of Romans chapter 1, he, he sort of changes gears for verse 18, up until... Ah, it's ah, good news, the gospel of Jesus, it's good news. We spoke the last time about Paul's heart for all people, and he wasn't interested in getting blessed, he wanted to be a blessing. It's good, 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 good. And then he changes gears, and as I pre-warned us two weeks ago, that he's going to lose you. This is seen as the dark pages of scripture. Uh, Spurgeon says this, that then... A master jeweler is showing off his prized possession, prized diamonds. He will always put it against or in front of a really dark background. The reason is if he puts it on, a, if the master jeweler puts a flashy diamond on a flashy background, it doesn't highlight the goodness so much. So you see, you women are getting better than me, and they one for. Shopping for jewellery, as a bill will tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's against a dark padded background usually. In fact, what I step into is the darkness of the sin of humanity. And then we'll get to the good news. But I do think sometimes we fail in church and we just present the good news. That Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus saves you. Jesus got a plan for you. Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus got a purpose for your life. Jesus will give the desires of your heart. All that stuff's good news. But Fabu of Nemdi has ever told you about the bad news of the sin of humanity. I think you absolutely appreciate the good news against the background of the bad news. And if you appreciate the bad news of the sinfulness of humanity, you will absolutely appreciate and stand in awe and wonder at God's grace in your life to appreciate the Saviour. If you're not caring for you have been saved fair, how can you possibly appreciate the term Saviour? Oh, Christ my Saviour. Saved you for fit. A life without a purpose? Okay. I can find purpose in a lot of things. Sports can give me a purpose. Got a jam can give you a certain amount of purpose. But if you see the depth or the darkness of humanity, and you see for God has saved you faith through Jesus, 
you are like, wow, God is good. Jonathan Edwards, a great American theologian, evangelistic preacher, preached Romans 2. And he just preached Romans 2 one Sunday. Romans 2 is your book to say about the sinfulness of humanity. And somebody shouted out to him, Is God near God or even a little mercy? Far's the good news. And his response was this Come back next Sunday and I'll give you the good news and like the bad news. But I'm not going to ask you to come back in two weeks to get the good news. We're going to look at us overall and see the fallenness. But see God's rescue plan through Jesus as well. So, I've got my oracle Margaret here. That's going to declare God's word. In Romans chapter 1, Margaret, read verse 18 to 20. Right. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes. Oh, is that enough? Um, that was verse 20, wasn't it? Right off the bat, as he changes gears, he's first speaking to, uh, we'll say the Gentiles. Gentiles, if you're unaware, it's non-Jews. You've got your Jews and your Gentiles on planet Earth. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. We are Gentiles. So really, he spots up the end of chapter 1 and the hell of chapter 2. In chapter 3 up until verse 20, he addresses the Gentiles and says this, You should have known God and worshipped God and honour God because of what you've seen in creation. Verse 20 is quite startling for me because it says clearly, There is no excuse for not knowing God. He says this, through creation, God's invisible qualities, his power and his majesty are clearly seen in nature. And because Abdi in the hell world can see the creation of God's hands, there is no excuse for not knowing God. Everybody has an opportunity to go in their garden, to look at the sky, to look at the sun, to look at the moon, to look at the stars, and say, wow, there must be a creator God. I remember at a young age, looking up in a <coughs> brisk evening, I must have been about six years old, and thinking, wow, there must be a creator. <laughs> so Paul is addressing the Gentiles and saying, look, He's got to come to the law in the minute and, and, and the, the little light God has given us to deal with conscience. And is with no excuse. Today we're taught this, as I'm sure most of you with, that the Big Bang, that there was bacteria in a pool and a rock, and then if it happened to the bacteria, it evolved. And it grew some legs, but it was still underwater. It was a fish capable of breathing underwater. And that's fish. What happened to the fish? It evolved. It evolved. And it jumped out, and it grew some legs, and it went for a creature that could breathe underwater. Because suddenly something happened that meant it could breathe in the fresh air out with water. And this fish became a lizard. And this lizard got bigger and bigger and eventually became a monkey. Full of hair that could swing through trees and eat bananas, which eventually 
you would get the human race with brains capable of making iPhones and flying to the moon, Baldwin who says, and I think we do. That's how we're told the story goes. And we're supposed to be the ones that have faith. <laughs> and Romans is clear. Paul said, fits a song, he's kind of hands. Oh, great thou, how great thou art. An awesome wonder, the work of your hands. You're supposed to go out and look at nature and think, there must be a God. This is too in the midst of chaos. This is too perfect. That if the sun was a couple of yards closer, I would burn. The sun was a couple of yards further, I would freeze. Why is the stars not falling through the sky in a bus? It's too perfect. It's too orderly. There must be a God. And because of this, unfortunately, as well, God has given us the benefit of creation and says in verse 20, there's no excuse for nobody. Now recognize that there's a God. But it says that they didn't honor nor worship him. Can you read on? There's a negative verse by verse and gone by themes. It says, but they never worshipped the living God, the spirit God. They created for themselves a plants of wood. Little images and idols. And they bowed down and worshipped the idols. They refused to worship the living God. This is how incredible humanity is in its fallenness. That we would take a piece of wood. We would carve out for the piece of wood some monkey or some Buddha. We would pull in a mantelpiece and bow down to the wood that's been created for another human and worship them as a creator. This happens all the time. Maybe not so much in our Western world, but definitely in other cultures. Probably the Western world, we're into worshiping people, football teams and things, and pop stars, and we veer the world, stuff like that. No excuse. That's strong words, isn't it? Humanity's left with no excuse. That there is no excuse now to worship and honour the living God because of creation. And then it speaks for all the Jews. He starts addressing the Jews for chapter 2. And he starts addressing the Jews and saying this. Do not judge them for falling short of God's standard. The Gentiles did not hear the law. You have the law. And you that have the law, you do the same thing as the Gentiles. You sin like them. They commit murder. They are sexually immoral. They steal. They are bad. They get angry. They're brutal. They're unforgiving. But Jews, don't judge them, because you do the same thing. And for 2 onwards to 3.20, it lists the sins of humanity that we can see. The hell of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 1 it speaks about the sinfulness of humanity. You can read it yourselves, it speaks a lot about sexual immorality. Other sins committed are against God's divine order. Divine order for marriage, divine order for purity, divine order for love. It speaks about gossip, it speaks about deception, it speaks about malicious behaviour. This is me for us as Christians to use as a stick to beat the world up we. And then we become like them and say, well, look, look at them sinners. Because God will probably say, you're speaking about them. How are you? This is for us to read and for us to recognize as you go through the last of sins. It's for you to realize us. You're a sinner. 
You've committed, in part, if not her, the sins mentioned. Paul is trying to lose us. He's trying through the Holy Spirit for us to recognise that I'm missing God's mark. That I'm a sinner. And God had given us a conscience. And through Paul, he says to the Jews, because I kept the law, you had the law. You were God's chosen people that had the law. You broke the law. But he also says, but even the Gentiles that didn't hear the law, God's put a conscience within him so that they have a little light within him that recognises God's moral standard. That's how we can that Stealing is wrong. Mm How -hmm. oh, do we can that stealing is wrong? Mm -hmm. Because God has given us conscience mm -hmm. that agrees that the law is good. We can that sexual immorality is wrong. How oh, do we can that's wrong? If we can for monkeys, monkeys understand that stealing it, that barrenness is, that anger, how wrong anger is, for unforgiveness is. For morality, for purity, is no. We are made in God's image, and yes, we're fallen, but He's given us a conscience, Jew and Gentile, a little light to guide us. People get in prison for stealing, can it's wrong? They do it, but they can it's wrong. Romans chapter. Three, verse nine to twenty. Margaret, if you could read that. All people are sinners. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. They see that? Creation, no excuse. So, through creation, God proves himself, no excuse net, but we have not found them through creation because we're so fallen. The law, to try and obey the commands of the law, you read it as plain as they are. No one is righteous. No one is perfect. Not even one. In verse 19, a really cutting verse, the entire world is guilty before God. Entire world. Nobody is good enough to meet God's precious standard for us to spend eternity with Him forever. We speak to people about heaven, but the final destination. And I spoke to somebody a few weeks ago, and you hear us, I'm a good person. There's a heaven, I'm not like other people. I'm then a murderer. I'm then nasty. I live well. 
If I was a heaven, I'm a good, decent, moral human being. Good people go to heaven, bad people. If I was a hell, bad people go out. But God says no. Every single one has fallen short and is guilty or rebelling against God. Sinful, not just once, not just twice, but it's part of our nature. And I thank God through creation, our behaviour. It says that all will stand before God and give an account. And he's already told us, if nothing else was to be done, how we would stand before him. If we was to rely on being good, we would be guilty. I was a guy that was dying, and a minister came and visited him. He found he was reading his Bible, the guy that was dying. And the minister said, I see, and he tried to get right with God. And he says, no, I'm looking for a loophole. <laughs> and what the guy meant was, I came there maybe be a day I'm facing God. I don't want to face him. I want to see if there's a loophole. Scripture is very clear. We will stand before a holy God and give an account for deeds done in the body, both good and bad. And if nothing else is done and nothing else happens, and as we have, is relying on us to meet some mark of God's perfection, to see Him face to face and be with Him forever in a place called heaven, it's impossible because we're guilty as sinners. That's the bad news. <laughs> There's no other why. Do I want it to be true? Well, maybe. And you think of loved ones and you think, oh, look at us, how cool is that? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. For the sake of the podcast, I've just flipped a rune of boiled and made it. We are speaking the night about the, the justice. Put up because he's just. The justice of God. It's inescapable. He's a God of justice. He's a God of truth. He's a God that differentiates between truth and lies, righteousness and unrighteousness. Nothing is hidden before him. This is the rule of justice. No sin can go unpunished. That's a rule of justice. We have uh, a government, or a, what would you say, a, a rule of justice in our society by the justice system. What do you think would happen? If there was, if that was abolished and there was no justice and there was free rule, that whatever you thought was right in your mind to do, you could do without consequences. If there was no punishment <laughs> at all, what would you end up being in society? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Chaos. 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 Mm -hmm. It would find us, or class, We are reverence. God had a problem. Problem's us. He's a holy God. 
perfect. Heaven is his home, right? Believe that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If ever learned that book, humanity. We're sinful. We're earthly. Rebellious. And guilty. God's problem, if I can say this, God had a problem. We backed himself in a corner that if nothing was done, we'd be eternally separate. So that God had a few choices, this was the two main choices, if nothing else was done. This was the choices before him. Number one, just leave us. Like the fallen angels and Beelzebub, Condemned forever. This was a choice before God. Leave us. It's hard to say this, but I never to say it. Leave, leave us to go to hell. That's an option. He could have just says, I have given them creation. They didn't worship me. They didn't want me. They're rebellious, every single one of them. I've given the law. I've given them a conscience. They're not finding me throughout. I'll bite here in heaven. And there's a place that was reserved for the fallen angels. Males above. They can go there. I can create something else. But did he want to do that? Didn't want to do that. We're his precious possession, created in his image. The other thing that I could think of, or maybe the other options that you could think of in your personal time, was just forgive. Forgive everyone. And just, at the end of the day, God, that sneaked into the church, and I would say, about a decade ago, you maybe would have held it, love wins, universalism is called, that's a theological name for it, it's this, that Jesus made complete peace between God and his creation, and... Without repentance and without faith, he's just got. He's just a god of love. He's just got to forgive Abdi. How can that not happen? How can this just forgive Abdi? Not be on the table for happening. Yes. But it's this word here. There must be justice. He's a just God. He kind of wink at sin. He kind of turn a blind eye and just say, okay. That would be, that we've already said, would be unruly. Lawlessness. God would have to go against his own justice. His own moral order. And he would have to allow sinful, earthly, rebellious, guilty people into heaven. How do you think that would go? Oh, so full of the last or wrongdoing. If God was just to say, right, just come into heaven, we would make a mess of heaven. We would destroy that perfect place. And it would go against justice. God can't allow himself. And will not allow himself. Although he loves 
his creation. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He can't allow himself to never be just and never be right and never be righteous. We're coming to land into the solution. You still leave me. Right, I feel the show here is, I guess a few chapters. This is a gap that needed to be bridged. Can you see my, my white bar? So God's got a problem. He's got a rebellious humanity that cannot end other than he's got justice to uphold. He's got people that cannot get to heaven through behaviour and through obeying the law. Because no one is righteous, not even one. Just. Just in the justifier. He is just. He's also the justifier. This is the beauty of the good news. Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, has condemned the whole world into hopelessness, into lostness, before a holy, just God. Chapter 3, he then changes gears again. Reading from verse 21, if you would, Margaret. Uh, just read to the end of the chapter. God took our punishment. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. For we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Oh. That's a good news. Yeah, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And if you understand the lostness, you will then understand the grace. And fair ways for God to find you 
and take sinful man. Sin must be paid for. That's just. He must be a wife. Put back themselves in a corner. They either forgave Abdi, which he couldn't do, or let us burn in hell for eternity. But instead, he himself bore the penalty of our sin and shame on the cross. So that we, on that day of redemption, on that day that we meet the Father face to face, we will be declared acceptable enough to come home to heaven. Not because I'm a guy that's good enough, but because I have a faith in Jesus that paid it all. He became the sacrifice our sin. And on that cross, my sin went on to Jesus. That's why he died a criminal's death. Righteousness imparted also happened. For his righteousness, his spotlessness was imparted into me. Why do you think it can say in Ephesians that when God looks at us, we're seen as pure spotless that we are seen as righteous people well it certainly isn't because I've got a clean record of behaviour it's because we are declared righteous because of Christ's life upon us I'm not going to try and confuse us with many words Jesus paid it all he offered up himself on the cross. And if our faith is placed in Christ, we are declared righteous in God's sight. So that now God can take sinful man, would any be lost for that eternity? And God says us in verse 26. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. He himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. As a black man thinks it's quite unfair that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. But God declares that he is fair and he is just and for happened on the cross with Jesus is fair enough and just enough his wrath was satisfied and we didn't have to pay the penalty of our sin that Jesus paid on the cross. So God says in his fairness and in his justice, sold. Your account has been paid in full. We've heard this term that Jesus cancelled debt. I prefer that. Mere biblical, I think. I'm not disputing on it, son, but with saying he cancelled our debts. I prefer paid our debt. Your fun? I think I spoke about a mortgage the last time, so I might as well keep on the theme. If I pay up a mortgage and I go to the bank manager and I say, look, it's a grand mortgage. I've lost my job and penniless. There's no way I'm fulfilling the remainder of my mortgage. I would be very grateful if the mortgage lender would cancel my debt. Would you be? Mm -hmm. If he says, okay, Kevin, 
US 100 grand. I'm just going to score out and you can start afresh. I've cancelled your debt. Oh, I hope you have great appreciation for that bank manager. However, I would have greater appreciation if I came and says, oh, I'm broke, mate. I'm a hundred grand in debt. I've no out. I'm done and dusted. I'm in a dark place. And if the bank manager would then turn around and say, you can something. I'm doing my last hundred grand as a professional. I was, I could be rich, keeping it as a little nest egg for me and my family when I retire. I'm going to pay your debt. I'm going to become poor so that you could be set free for this debt. I will pay it myself. Put my own pocket. I'll go and take the money so that you could have plenty. I will have nothing. For me, it might just be words. But for me, Jesus paying my debt is greater than just the idea that he just put a score out on my son. Because the cross was paid in full. He bled, he died, he was spotless, he was blameless. He was the Lamb of God. Paid in full, every drop of his blood for sinful humanity, so that we could hear this beautiful good news that would say this, we are justified through faith in Jesus, apart from works. It said, I'm not good enough for heaven, but Jesus has made a way, for there seem to be no way. He is paid in full with his shed blood on the cross. And God says it's now fair and just that I would receive a righteousness through faith. That's the good news. Amen. That he would take a condemned, lost sinner, destined for eternity, separated for everything that is good and perfect, separated for eternity, Fair heaven and fair God's home that through us simply believing in Jesus and faith in him we go off a condemned sinners unsure of the eternal resting place till we are sure yeah. I am going to see the king Amen. Amen. I'm going to look at nail pierced hands Say, thank you, Jesus. You paid the penalty. No wonder he's the Lamb of God that is worshipped in heaven. No wonder he's the only one that is worthy to open up the scroll. No wonder elders bow down with their crowns in humility. No wonder multitudes upon multitudes are singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. No wonder we'll be forever singing oh, His grace, His majesty, because we couldn't find them through creation. We couldn't find them through behavior. Was hopelessly lost that God declares you righteous through faith. Right we hand. Not for one day, not for one week, not just for one year. Forevermore, if you knew we have face to face, you didn't have to say, oh, I think I'm good enough. He will look at the Lamb's Book of Life and he'll look for faith, people that had faith. For it says that he made a new way to be made right with him. Without keeping the requirements of the law, he was promised in the writings of Moses and the promises long ago. Verse 22 again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And this is true of everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You'll open up the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you come without Jesus, would you like to come before a holy God without faith? No. And people will say, oh, boy, I was good enough, I was a moral person. And God will simply say, number one, you must worship the Lord your God and Him alone. All your mind, all your hope, all your strength. If you did that, no, I've never did that. You're a lawbreaker. I can't possibly allow a sinful person to be with me forever more because I'm just. Crazy people like us will be before the throne. You're in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have faith in the Lamb. You have faith in the Lamb. Did you have faith in the Lamb? It's the only thing I've got, God, is faith in the finished work of Jesus. And he'll say, come in. Now we'll get on to the end for there's another judgment seat. The judgment seat of works. For the Christian. So you go through that judgment seat, you're out in heaven, and in weeks down the line, there's a judgment seat of works. Because it says, Scripture is clear, if you receive a prophet because he's a prophet, for you receive prophets as well. If you give even a cow cup of water to the least, a child, you will surely not lose your reward. I always smile when I see the toddlers group being water and diluting juice to the kids <laughs> in kids club. Because if you do in God's name, you can walk past a place like that and think, they're not losing their reward. That's what Jesus says. That's not what I say. Apostle Paul spoke about them that have built with, with hay and stone that's got to get burnt up. But some have built with precious jewels and gold and silver. They pray that they would have done things with the right motives. God will sort all that out before we get to a dwelling place. Before we get to our eternal mansion, there'll be rewards for doing things with love and integrity, with character. But you've got to ken that you've got to get to heaven. That's the security of the believer. And there's no poor people in heaven. There's only the family of God. Every single person there with the right wedding place on, which is this. I've received the finished work. Of the cross. Faith in Jesus. Can I emphasize it enough? He'd spend the next hour just standing here trying to embrace you. Trying to hit you with the truth. I hope you just leave here a night with an appreciation as are you get this an appreciation or thank you, Jesus. He could have just left us. But yet justice was satisfied. There's more to say, but I'm going to leave that flower as it is. His grace will take you home. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the truth that you are just and you are the justifier. God, I thank you that you didn't put the expectation on us to be perfect in every way to receive us into your kingdom. And we confess that before you we were hopelessly lost. And God, if hell would have been our consequence for your wrath and judgment through a rebellion, it would be entirely deserved because you are fair and you are just. Yet, Jesus, we thank you that you didn't leave us as hopeless sinners. But you came and lived a spotless life to be sacrificed. God, we love your miracles. We love your signs. We love your stories. We love your teaching. Yet your mission was to set your face like flint. To be a sacrifice. For you could have taught the same thing to the same miracles. Yet if you became a sinner like us, then there would be no eternal sacrifice for our sins. And so we just come before you this evening and we say thank you. For your shed blood. We thank you that you paid it in full. That you didn't just cancel out and put a stroke through our sins. But through your nail pierced hands you paid the price for us. We thank you for the wonderful gift of faith. 
that we can put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And God, we pray that the good news would shine forth in the background of sinful humanity. Help us as missionaries on earth to communicate the good news of the gospel. And God, we pray for our burden within humanity that they would realise that they're lost without God. We pray, Holy Spirit, for a conviction that you would keep family members up at night and they would start questioning their eternal rightness. We are holy God. God, we have tried just to tell them the good news and we think, we're just happy, clappy people. But God, may you scare them to death on eternity without you. And the place for the worm shall never die. The fire will never go out. There'll be no second chances. There'll be no baptisms. There'll be no repentance and turning up to hear gospel meetings. There'll be no evangelism. God, before that great and fearful day of the Lord, we pray for a reaping of the harvest of souls that people would suddenly be awakened to their conscience and cry out, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to get right? We are holy God and glory. And then the good news would shine forth easily that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we would see many sons and daughters brought into glory through the beautiful message of the gospel that Christ, you did, for we couldn't. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And before we leave, we simply say thank you. And I pray for the restfulness of Christ. That we one day look to us and one day feel saved. And the next day doubt our salvation through our own behaviour. But God, we would set our dial to Jesus. And realise it's you that we trust. And you will lead us home. And we look forward to seeing you face to face as we know you in spirit. And as we know you in part, we'll see you in full. Or we could simply say, thank you, Jesus, and worship you forevermore. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. That was a lot of ground. That was two chapters of deep.